Good morning. Welcome again to River Valley Community Church. Welcome home, family. Thank you, band. It's amazing uh, the talent that they have that I do not have, um, especially since, because as David explained, is kind of an ad hoc band this morning, which is great. Thank you so much for that. <coughs> We're going to continue our journey through the Gospel of John. So you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 8. Uh, if you do not, it's going to be on the screen with us, and we're going to start in verse 12, and this is what the Word of God says. Again, Jesus spoke to him, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to him, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. You have much to say about, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand what he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As you have seen these things, many believed in Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are and how you love us. Thank you for your word that we can read it and understand who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you for this passage in the Gospel of John where we see who Jesus is and where he came from and what he's doing and, and how he saves us. And so, Lord, as we open up your word, as we read it, as we study it, we just ask that it comes alive in our hearts and our minds that we can know you and worship you and we be changed because of it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We need light. We, we need light. We're blind without light. Just a month or so ago, a big storm blew through our air and knocked out power for many, many people. Ourselves, we were without power for like 26 hours. I know some people were without power for a few days. And let me tell you, that night when it's dark, it was dark. We spent the night in our house and all the normal light pollution that comes through the window was not there because the whole neighborhood was dark. All the normal little lights of the appliances were off, and so it was really dark. 
And so when I got up in the middle of the night to go check on a crying child, I was stumbling into every conceivable surface. It's like I didn't even know where I was. It was so dark. We need light. Without it, we're just stumbling blind through life. Without it, we are lost. And if you've ever been in a dark environment before, you know how dependent we are on light. Whether it's a dark house on a powerless night, or whether it's crawling through a cave where the light does not reach, or whether it's going down into that creepy basement, we need light, and we're lost without it. And light is a well-known and used image for the Christian faith and for God himself. Because light sheds light on everything it touches. We see everything because of it. And so we've used this image. The Bible uses this image, and it's rich because we see how we need it, and we're dependent on it for guiding through life, for walking through life, as well as coming to know God. And so light comes down from God who provides salvation for his people, and so we see this image being used again and again. The Christian author C.S. Lewis has this well-known quote where he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because I spy it, I see everything else. That's what the Christian faith does. It's a light that sheds light on this world that we can actually look upon the world through the light of Christianity and we understand how God has made the cosmos. We understand what God is kind of doing through this world. We can understand what is the meaning and purpose of it all because God gives light to us. And so in John chapter 8, in verse 12, we see Jesus using this image of light to describe who he is. And I'll just put it in this turn of phrase, uh, uh, how this, what this passage is teaching us, is this. Jesus came from heaven to give us heaven. We see again and again in this passage that Jesus is describing where he comes from and what his mission is. And that is he came from heaven. He's heavenly. He is from God. He is God. And he came with a purpose, and that is to give us what heaven is, which is a relationship with God. He came, Jesus came from heaven to give us heaven. So John chapter 8, verse 12, this passage starts with one of those well-known I am statements of Jesus. There's seven I am statements of Jesus within the Gospel of John. And here's one of them where he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will will have the light of the world. Of life. This is one of those statements that's proving and speaking to Jesus' divinity that He is God. He's saying, Look to me for life. Look to me for light, for guidance. Look to me for I am God. This is an image that the gospel writer John uses again and again. Actually, this, this I am the light of the world harkens back to John chapter 1, verse 4. When talking about Jesus, he he says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. That John was setting up this, this, this image that Jesus is the light of men, the light of God that's come into the world, and that we just need to see it and follow it. This also might be because Jesus uses this phrase, I am the light of the world, And he does it, it says, while he's standing in the temple treasury. 
And it, as commentators say, this is most likely one of the courts that had these huge lamps, these four big lamps that would shed light in the temple. And so Jesus standing under these lamps where people would praise God and they would actually dance and celebrate under these lights, these lamps for God and what he has done. Now Jesus stands up under these lights and using this imagery, he says, look at these lights, I'm the true light. You see these lamps that represent how God shows you and reveals the truth to you? I am the greater light, the light of the world, that if anyone would look upon me and follow me, then you could truly have life. He's using what's around him to point to the truth of who he is. But this is not new. As I mentioned, this, this light, this imagery of light, is something that's used throughout the Bible. And we see it again and again that there's this rich history in the Old Testament of God being described as light. That the Israelites followed God who was the fire in the cloud at night, the light that would guide them th- out through the wilderness and into the promised land. Psalm 27, 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Proverbs 6.23 describes God, godly teaching as a lamp and a light. Ezekiel describes the Lord as a flashing fire that flashes continuously, this pure light. Psalm 44 says that God saves by the light of his face. Isaiah 49.6 says that the Messiah, the promised one, is a light to the nations which brings salvation to the ends of of the earth. And we could go on and on this rich imagery of light being used to describe who God is and how he reveals himself to his people. But this continues through the New Testament, probably most powerfully in the book of Revelation, where when the end comes, when Jesus returns, when he sets up his kingdom, and when we're with God in the new heavens and the new earth, it describes that there will be no more sun, there will be no more moon. Why? Because the glory of Christ is light enough for us. And so we see again and again this imagery of light pointing to God. And when Jesus takes this imagery of light upon himself, he's saying, I am God, and if you follow me, you too can have life. But maybe the closest parallel to what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will have the light of life, is found in Psalm 119, 105, which says, the wor- your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119 is that big, long psalm that most of us dread when it comes into our reading because it's a couple pages long. And all it is is this love poem to God's Word of how powerful and mighty it is. And so this phrase, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path, points to the fact that God's teaching, His truth, guides us and directs us. And I don't think Jesus is, is this happenstance using this, but He takes that and says this is me. I am God's word. I am God. You want to know what God says? Look what I say. You know what God wants from you? Listen to what I call you to do. And that we look to Jesus and we see the truth of who God is. And if we followed him, we would have a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. And we could follow God as he has called us to do. So, we see this first statement in this passage and we say, who is Jesus? Well, he is the light. 
He is the light that gives life. The light that we're called to follow. The light that reveals what the world really is about. That Jesus is God himself revealing the truth to us. That who Jesus is. But as you probably can guess, and we've read, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, hear Jesus say this, and they really kind of don't like it. They don't want to accept it at face value because they know what he is saying. When we read this and you see the opposition that Jewish leaders and the Pharisees have um, against Jesus throughout the gospel, sometimes we, you know, we sometimes think maybe they don't understand. Maybe they just, they're just confused about what Jesus is saying. No, they knew what he was saying. By Jesus taking this imagery of light upon himself, they knew he was claiming to be God. They knew that he was claiming to be on equal status with the word of God. And so they don't accept this. And they, they start questioning him and say, hey, you're speaking on your own authority. You're speaking on your own behalf. And so we shouldn't trust you. And this actually should sound familiar because Jesus himself said, if someone speaks on his own authority, you shouldn't trust him. Back in John chapter 5, Jesus was talking about how he does not just speak on his own authority. That, the, that John the Baptist testified to him, that the Spirit testifies to him, that he has all these evidence that point to him and these things that support his testimony. And so you should listen to them because of that. And so the Pharisees are kind of trying to, you know, trick Jesus in his own words and his own games and say, wait, you're just speaking on your own authority. No one's testifying to you that you're the light of the world. And Jesus comes back to him and says, even if you, what you say is true, which is not, it doesn't matter. For I am from heaven, and you don't even understand this. For I am from God, and you don't know that. For I am from God, and you don't even know who God is. And so you're lost and are confused about who I am. And he says, so even if that's true, it doesn't matter for I'm God, and God needs no authority to testify for, for him. Or to him. But he says, but if you want to question me, I testify for myself, and your law says you need two witnesses, and so I'm one witnesses, and guess who my other witness is? My father. And they go, well, who's your father? You don't know him, Jesus said. You don't know God. Imagine that statement to the religious authorities, the Pharisees, who pride themselves in knowing and following God's law, and Jesus looks at him and says, you don't know God. You don't know the Father. If you knew the Father, you would know me. If you knew the Father, you would know that I came from him. If you knew the Father, you could tell from what I teach that I am his, and I speak the truth. What really this comes down to is a battle of authority. Who are you going to trust? Who has authority in your life? The Pharisees, these religious leaders, they were judging according to the flesh, Meaning that they were thinking in terms of, the, of their humanness, their, their, that they were judging it by their limited understanding as humans. And so they couldn't really grasp that Jesus was from heaven and will be returning to heaven. And there's a conflict of authority is that when it came down to it, they're going to believe themselves rather than Jesus. And that their, their question of who they're going to listen to is they choose to listen to themselves rather than Jesus. Have you guys ever experienced that conflict of authority? Maybe you're doing a job and one boss tells you to do one thing and another boss comes and tells you to do something else. And you're like, well, now what do I do? It's a conflict of authority. When I was a little kid in, in elementary school, I experienced a conflict of authority because my mom came and volunteered in the classroom once. 
And well, I'm sure she did it more than once, but this one time she came and volunteered in the classroom and the teacher told me to get up and go do something. And so I got up and go do something, but my mom didn't hear the teacher say this. And so she saw me up and she assumed I was up to no good. And so she goes, Adam, sit down. Right there is a conflict of authority. Who am I going to listen to? The teacher telling me to do something or my mom telling me to sit down? Well, my mom went out and I sat down. I thought it was so unjust, but I did. But that's a conflict of authority. Who are you going to listen to when you have two competing voices telling you to do something different? It's a conflict of authority that we all need to wrestle with. Who are we going to listen to? Because we judge according to the flesh all the time like the Pharisees. That we judge according to our understanding and how we want things to happen how we expect things to happen. But then along comes the word of God and maybe it presents a better word and we're like, wow, maybe I should listen to that. But well, I kind of want to listen to this authority. And there's this conflict within us. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. It's talking about that battle of authority that when push comes to shove and you have these two voices speaking to you, the word of God and what you want, other authorities, which one should win out the word of God and what God has said us, told us to do, that should win out. And so when there is a conflict of authority between what you want to do and what Jesus calls you to do, what will you do? When there's a conflict of authority with what your boss tells you to do and what Jesus has called us to do, what will you do? When there's a conflict of authority between what the government tells you what you must do and what God and Jesus call you to do, what will you do? It's a conflict of authority, and we have to decide who we're going to listen to. And we're called to listen to the Word of God in all things. This is basically asking who are you going to trust, not just with your life, but with your spiritual life and with your eternity. Because all the time we decide who we are going to trust with our life. When you pick up medicine from the pharmacy, we trust a lot of people with our physical life. We trust the doctor with our life that he prescribed the right medicine. We trust the pharmacist that they made and prepared the right medicine. We trust the pharmacist tech that they actually gave us the right bottle of medicine. We trust a lot of people when it comes to our physical life, because we can take that analogy and we can keep on rolling it because we trust the company who developed that medicine. We trust the people who trained all the people who made that medicine. We trust the people who trained the the pharmacists and the tech and everyone that comes, puts their hands on it. We trust a whole lot of people when it comes to our physical life. And you can almost take any, any time we step out the door and we're trusting a whole lot of people with our life. But when it comes to our spiritual life, our eternity with God, who are we to trust? Because your authority is either, either yourself, what you think, what you feel, what you have experienced, or your authority is God and what he says. And do you really want to trust yourself with your eternity? Do you really think you have the knowledge and the wisdom and the insight for your spiritual life to be healthy? The Pharisees were trusting themselves. They were trusting that they knew enough 
to get themselves to heaven? That they have the answers? Well, I don't know about you, but I know I don't know enough. I know I'm not good enough. I know I can't get there on my own. So why would I trust in myself and make myself the judge over God's word? Because Jesus came from heaven to give us heaven, and so we trust in him. We trust in Jesus because of who he is. That he came from heaven. This is what he says seven times in different ways in this passage. Jesus speaks about being from heaven. He speaks in, in different ways, but he's saying the same thing again and again. That he was sent by the Father. He's from above. He's not of this world. He's a messenger of the Father. He's on a mission from God. Again and again, he speaks in these ways saying, that is where I'm from and that is where I'm going to return to. This is who I am. And so he's revealing his identity to his people saying, this is why you should trust my words. This is why you should listen to me. Because I come from God. I come from heaven. And I am God. And you should listen to me and know who I am because of that one of the ways we know someone or we determine how what we think about someone is really where they're from it kind of helps us get a part of their identity where they are from we we can start thinking about them there's a lot of stereotypes about people from different locations and you usually they're based on some level of truth but we kind of judge people don't we about where they're from i went to school in colorado and uh, I'm from Arkansas, lived my whole, basically my whole life from Arkansas. When I went, arrived in Colorado, you know, people were stunned and amazed that I didn't have a thick, what they thought would be an Arkansas accent. I defied their expectations. My dad is from Detroit, and he's lived in Fort Smith, Arkansas for 34 years, and there's still some people who call him a Yankee. <laughs> we judge people based on where they're from. Picture in your mind someone from California right now. I'm imagining and betting you had a certain stereotypical image pop into your mind because we're judging someone based on where they're from. And it's the same truth that we, we get a certain picture because it gives us a, a hint at their identity. And it's the same thing with Jesus. When he is saying, I come from heaven seven times, he's saying that is part of my identity. That is part of my nature. That is who I am as I come from that location and it influences how you should think of me. It's kind of like a passport, if you will. Most likely, you guys all have a passport, or maybe you've seen a passport, but you need a passport to travel around the world. I just renewed my passport because uh, we might be going to Guatemala here in the, in the fall for a mission trip. And so you need your passport because it tells you your native country. It gives you that right. I am exiting my native country, and I'm going to be turning to my native country, and that allows me to get back in. And so here Jesus saying, I have a passport from heaven because that's where I'm from. And I'm going back there because that's who I am. Jesus revealing that he's from heaven, that he came from heaven. He reveals who he is, that he is God himself. And he doesn't just come from heaven. Jesus came from heaven to give us heaven. He came with a mission. He doesn't come to sightsee, hey, I wonder what it's like to walk around in a flesh suit for a while. He came as one of us for a mission, and that mission is to save us. Why? Because humans have a dilemma. We have a dilemma. Every single human.
human has dilemma. And that dilemma is that we're trapped and enslaved to sin. That humans were made in the image of God and we were made to praise God and be with God and follow God all of our lives, but yet sin entered and destroyed that relationship and now we're enslaved and trapped and have a barrier separating us from God and we are longing for God even though we can't see Him anymore because all our eyes are blinded by sin and the, and the enemy and we're trapped there and that's our dilemma. And this is what Jesus says to the Pharisees. He says to them in verse 21, he says, you will die in your sin because where I'm going, you cannot come. That humanity, not just the Pharisees, but all of us before we know Christ, we will die in our sin because we are separated from God by it. We are trapped behind a barrier of sin and we don't even want to get through it because we're so blinded by it that we're just wallowing in misery. We know there's something missing, but we can't quite understand what it is. That is the dilemma of humanity. But Jesus comes as a solution to this dilemma. He comes as the answer to this problem because we can't get heaven without Jesus. And so Jesus comes to us to bring us to heaven, to give us heaven. He bursts through this barrier of sin and carries us, us back home with him. And that was Christ, that's what Christ does when he comes to this earth as a human, that he saves us from that dilemma of sin. And how does he do this? I love this passage because when you start looking at it, you see the elements start adding up together. Is that first of all, he lived a perfect life. Where we sin and fall short, Jesus always obeyed God and in so was righteous before God. Jesus says in verse 29 of this passage, he says, um, For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus is the only human that actually can say that. I always do what is pleasing to God. I have never taken a wrong step. I have never done something that is dishonest or disloyal. I have never done something that is sin or wrong or anything of that nature. I am without sin. That he's always followed God in every word, every thought, every action, and every deed. He has been perfect. Never messing up. Never making a wrong move. Always doing what he has been called to do. He's perfect. And being perfect, the only perfect human who has ever existed, he won heaven for us. He has achieved all that was needed to be achieved for us who believe in him to get heaven. That he obtained this act of obedience, this act of righteousness. He stored it up for us, and it will never run dry for those who believe in him, that he has done and fulfilled the law and all of its righteousness. And then in part, that's how he gives us heaven, is that he's done it for us. Because we can't earn it, but Jesus has achieved it. We can't reach it, but Jesus reaches it and gives it to us. That Jesus did all that we need to get heaven, and then he gives it freely to us who believe in him. 
But his righteousness, this giving of, of his right standing before God, it doesn't cancel, cancel out our past or our sin. And so he has to deal with that as well. And so he, Jesus sacrifices himself by taking our punishment upon himself, our sin, the penalty for our, this, this, our sin that was rightly ours, he takes upon himself on the cross. And this is what he refers to in this passage when he says, when you see the Son of Man lifted up, you will know that I am he. He's referring to the sacrifice he's about to do for his people. That when you see the Son lifted up upon the cross, when you understand what happens there, you will know that I am God and I am dying for you. And if you believe in me, you too could have life. The light of life that I gave to you if you believe in me. That these two actions of Jesus' life working together is how he breaks that sin barrier and brings us back to heaven and God. That Jesus came from heaven to give us heaven. How? By living a sinless life and giving his righteousness to us and taking our unrighteousness, our sin, our trespasses, everything we've done wrong in this world, in this life, he took it upon himself and he paid for the penalty. And because of that, we now get heaven we get god we get jesus we get life we get everything we need and all we have to do is believe for this to be true jesus says in verse 24 i told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe i am he you will die in your sins. Jesus is saying, unless you have a belief in me, that I am he, this phrase, this term phrase, that in the Old Testament is pointing to God, God refers to himself as I am he. Jesus says, unless you believe I am he, you too will die in your sins. And Jesus says, if you believe, you will be saved. If you believe, you will have the light of the world that gives us the light of life. If you believe, you will have my perfect righteousness so that when you stand before the judgment throne, before our almighty God, he'll see you, but he'll see me in front of you saying, this is one of mine. I died from them. Accept them. If you believe, you will be with God. If you believe, you'll be in heaven. He says our belief is what takes what he has done for us and applies it to our lives so that we can have God. I love how this passage ends. It says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. The Holy Spirit was working powerfully through the people who were listening to him, and many people's eyes were open to the truth that Jesus is the one he says he is. That Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. That if we believe in him, we can have this light of the world that saves us, that brings us to God, that gives us heaven. If we believe, I love it. Many believed in him as they were listening to him talk. Are you counted among that number? 
Because that number is growing and growing every single day as Christians go throughout this world and they spread the good news of how God has saved them through Jesus Christ. People believe these things and so they're counted among that number. They are saved because they know who Jesus is and they're counted along with these people. And so I have to ask, we all have to ask ourselves and those around us that we care about and we love, do you believe? Do you believe this is true, that when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, do you believe that is true, that he is the one that defines what this world is, that he is the one that shows light to all that we see, that we need to believe in him because that's the only way for life, for heaven, for a relationship with God. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? If yes, rejoice and follow him. But that's not something to be kept closed up in our lives because he is the light of the world. And so if you have Jesus in your life, it's a light streaming out of you that when we go wherever we go, when we're at work with family or friends or wherever we are, that we should be sharing that same light of the world that as Matthew 6, 5.16, I think, <laughs> says you, that... Um, <clears throat> let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That was off the cuff. That was not in my last group. That that is who we should be. That the light shines from us because we have the light. We know the light. And people see it and respond to it. Believe that Jesus came from heaven to give us heaven share that with those who need to hear it. Attempting to get to God apart from Jesus is like being in a dark, futile, religious maze. We can't see the corners. We don't know what path goes where. We turn this one corner and it's labeled good works, but yet there's a barrier because we'll never be good enough. We take another corner and it's marked sincerity. We'll never be sincere. It doesn't matter with the truth. We'll never, even if we're wrong, we'll be blocked. There's no way through. Each turn in this darkened maze on our own will always lead to a barricade that we cannot pass. There is no relief. It's always dead ends. And we're lost in this maze on our own. But here comes the light of the world. Showing you the way. Here comes the one who lived a perfect life, bursting through the barriers to make a way. Here comes the one who died for us, picking us up and carrying us to the end. That on our own we are lost, but he brings us to God. Jesus came from heaven to give us heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name for you are good, you are worthy, you are mighty. Lord, we thank you so much that you sent your Son. You sent your Son so that we can, we can have Him, we can have heaven, we can be made whole like you have promised us. And Lord, we pray now that we can believe this, we can believe it's true, that everyone in this room can believe it's true. And then we pray for everyone to take that step of faith and share this truth to those who need to hear it. With love, with respect, with winsome arguments, we share the truth 
Jesus is the light of the world. That Jesus is the light of life. That whoever follows Him will have life. That whoever believes in Him will be with you. So Lord, we pray that we not only believe it, but we share it, we speak it, we live in light of this reality every single day. When we feel like we have messed up and we have failed, we can be on our knees admitting that it's true. We have not done enough. But praise be to God, to you, for sending the one who has done enough. That when we have seemingly a good day and we seem to have it all together, we can say, thank you, God, for strengthening me and keeping me on the track, for lighting my way. Continue to do so. Lead me in your ways ever, every day. That in good and bad, we know it's you who's working through us and we praise your name and we give honor and glory to you. Let us always follow you in all of our life. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.